Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we come to you this morning, joining together in a corporate worship to you. Abba, Father, to you belongeth the glory and the honor, the power and dominion. It's yours, Lord, even as we gather together to acclaim the Lord is good as mercy endureth forever. And we come, O oh God, to worship the Lord God most high in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. We come together to say, Lord, we have experienced your goodness, having tasted of it. We have come, O oh God, together to Seek you, seek your presence, seek your powerful presence of the Holy Spirit and to hear your word. Now, dear Lord, we're just so grateful that our Lord Jesus Christ paid the fullest penalty and the atonement is complete. And the only grounds by which we can approach you, Almighty God, and to know you as Abba, Father, is because of what our Lord did. And on the ground of his great work of redemption, Lord, we are so grateful that he's touched, oh God, our sins and iniquities, cleansed us, that he has given, oh God, strength in our spirit and our soul and comfort, according to Isaiah 53 and verse five. And Lord, that by his stripes you are healed. I pray that no one would be outside the pale of all the fullness of all that our Lord Jesus Christ did. Salvation, most important. And yet, oh God, the side dish important as well. To realize that we can have the peace with God because he was chastised for our peace. In Jesus' name I speak. Salvation to the many people that are here and that are standing in the gap for their loved ones. I speak comfort, O oh God. You took the chastisement, and I pray healing of the spirit, of the soul, of the body, because by his stripes we're healed, and healing is the children's bread. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, be healed, be whole. There are precious ones lifting up their loved ones. Go ahead. Lift them up today, even right now, and thank you, Father. It's done above Father through Yeshua, Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Wonderful once again that we can come as we did at the 8 and now at the 1030 service. For those that are watching, just want to let you know that you can share this message if you're on YouTube, if you're on uh, Facebook, and if you're on YouTube, tell the others and let them be part of this worship experience. And for those that are here with us in person, I'm so grateful despite the weather outside, you've made a commitment to give thanks to God and recognizing Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, forsaking not the assembling and the gathering of ourselves together as we see all the more the day of the Lord is approaching. So welcome once again, everyone. Just so glad that we could gather together 
and to have a wonderful time. I thought the worship and the praise was awesome. Give the Lord a clap offering. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of all praises. I want to welcome Pastor Jordan and Sister Renee and Noah here with us. He's a pastor of a very thriving church in Isikribo in Guyana, and he's with us, and we just want to give thanks to God. I have been doing the word burden, and I want to continue on to what I just started last Sunday, which was the blessing of a burden, or burden blessing. It said, basically, for us, it's something that's unheard of, because a blessing and a burden uh, is, the, is basically don't come together, they just conflict. But literally, we find because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, burdens become a blessing. And without a burden, there is no blessing, there is no call, there is no destiny, there is even no uh, ministry. Everything that we come to or aspire comes because of a burden, whether it be in the natural or whether it be in the solical or whether it be in the spiritual. You are where you are, whether it's in the prayer or you are what you are doing because of the burden God has placed within you, or what you know that God wants you to be, it comes out of a burden which is a blessing. Unfortunately, there are people who do not have a burden and just come out, the waves have carried them, and they realize I am not in the place where I am, in the job that I am, in the profession that I am, because somehow that, that was the burden of the parents rather than train a child in the way he should go. And understanding that each one has a special burden, maybe to be in the sports, or maybe in the medicine, or maybe engineering, or maybe in the ministry, in the capacity in so many ways. And if there was no burden, you wouldn't be where God wants you to be. It begins with a burden. Now, I want you to understand the burden is a blessing, but what I'm talking about is brokenness, a burden that actually becomes a blessing. Many years ago, in remote part of Europe, there was a, an amazing church. It's uh, what was remarkable about the church is not simply the Gothic architecture and the steeple, but literally something more important for the people that would come to visit was the stained glass. A wonderful uh, reflection of Jesus Christ carrying the lamp on his shoulder, and it was right there. Uh, in the in front, and so when people inside were looking beyond the pulpit, uh, they would see this beautiful figure that is in so marvelous, splendid, kaleidoscopic light coming out, and was a real great presence they felt of the of the Lamb of God, the Shepherd, the Good Shepherd. But in the midst of a very difficult storm, uh, literally something of. Uh, wood piece or something just got carried by this heavy storm and hit and broke the glass. And that stained glass, which is picturesque, just ended up shattering into pieces. So it was a broken stained glass window that was all down, and they gathered every bit of it, and they were so sad, the people in the church, because this was what was so attractive when they worshipped the Lord. It was beautiful in terms of the design and the way it was meant. They felt it was so important. And so for a while, they mourned the fact there's something so much missing. Even though they tried to put a glass, it was just like a hole in the midst of a, uh, of a beautiful structure. One day, Towns way away 
was a craftsman who did glass and the various stained glass windows. He heard about it, and he asked them if they had every one of the pieces covered. They said, we do have it in the basement. He said, I'll come in and get it. And so he did. He came in, and it was a few days later, he began to piece it together. But in a matter of a year, he got it all together, and then he had invited the people to come in and have a look at this masterpiece. And by the time it was put back into that place where it was removed from or broken from, this was totally exquisite. It was so beautiful. Beautiful? In so beautiful and magnificent, far greater than the original, because this man had added a touch and here and there put sparkling colors they had not seen. So when I'm talking about brokenness, I'm talking about beauty. When I'm talking about brokenness, I'm talking about blessing. When I'm talking about brokenness, and when you would hand your broken lives, broken dreams, broken ministries, broken uh, desires that God has put into your heart, everything has happened like Joseph after having such uh, wonderful prophetic utterance and dreams, and then to be carried away to be a prisoner of all places, 13 years languishing. Or like the great words that were spoken about great men in the Bible and women of God, and then the brokenness comes in. And that would have been the end had it not been for God, because God is in the midst of processing the brokenness to make something grandeur and far better than ever before. If it was not for the brokenness, you would not have heard of Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Moses, or Joshua, any one of the prophets. Every one of them went through that brokenness. Now I just want to say there are two types that you find in the Bible as I look at it, and I just put a word to it, but it's simply, I would call it, the first one is the coalition of the willing. It is those people who say yes to God, in situations of their life, they may not have a full understanding. It is a matter of situations that come in their life that is unscripted totally, or even unexpected totally, but things happen and they don't know anything about it, like Job. The screens of heaven were not open to him. He had no idea what was behind or the contest where Satan challenged God. This man is just giving you thanks because of what you have done and blessed him. But Satan wanted to break him and probably thought like his wife he would have cursed God and died. Like Job's wife? No, he did not. In the crushing moment of his life, here's a man that said, I don't know the way I take, but he knows. He is my redeemer. I shall see him with my own eyes. And this is amazing, particularly with this very important principle which our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ gave to us in the Gospel of Matthews. There in this passage in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 44, I want you to listen to the principle, whosoever on one side, whosoever on the other side. Whosoever will break on the stone and whosoever the stone will break. It's a big difference. It looks like common, <clears throat> whosoever, and there's a stone, and there is what would be break, but one is broken in a brokenness, and the other is crushed to a rubble, to simply 
into powder. God does not want anyone to be crushed into powder. Ever since the Adamic fall, we as human beings coming out of this fallen nature have to be repaired, have to be remade, that even as the great porter's hand is upon us, that we could be uh, sensitive, that we should be flexible, and we should be pliable in the master's hand. He's the great architect. He's the porter. We're the clay. So shape us, make us. And the first one is the coalition of the willing. They may not have all of the understanding of what takes place. No one has given them understanding of all that is taking place, but they're willing to trust God and say yes to God, like Mary. When the angel Gabriel came to her and told her what would take place, she had no idea what it would take. She may have understood in some respect, but not in such an avalanche of terrible accusation and blood or bordering on blasphemy, blasphemy. To the point they wondered even, is she a virgin? But her answer was yes, open to God and open to the master's touch. Because the Father in heaven has the very best desires for us. We can read that in Jeremiah. And what you find is a woman who says, may it be in my life according to your word. May it be according to your word. I'm open. I am in that term called acceptance, even though I may not have all the answers like Job of old, and like Moses of old, and like Abraham of old, like Saul, and uh, who became Paul. Yes, Lord. And this is the coalition of the willing. Willing, Lord, and say yes, Lord, to what is happening. But I know you are breaking to build up. I know that you are doing things far beyond my understanding to be able to make me what you want me to be. Even though it's broken into a million pieces, because of the power of your word and your hand, that you can restore me far greater and magnificent than ever before. Every one of these great men were one simple people that you and I would never have heard of until God called them. In the process of break, brokenness, out comes the great men that we call today, Abraham, who was a nobody, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Moses, or Joshua, or David, or the great prophets of old, or the great men and women of old, or the great apostles of old. When God got them, he had to have a sense of brokenness. But there are others that refused, and that is the coalition of unwillingness. We're not willing. The TR underline, refuse, resist, and rebel against the hand of God. Refuse God or anything to do with God. Resist Him and totally rebel against him. 
There were those who gone through situations in lives. And as I mentioned, unscripted, unrehearsed, unplanned, come sudden. Nobody expected COVID-19 to come upon us. Everybody has paid a price, but some more than most others. Within my staff, there's one who's lost her precious husbands. In this community of people are people who have lost their jobs, have lost their income, have lost their loved ones. And others have somehow the other made it true, but the levels were very different. But I could say of the people that I have known, they may not have understood all of it, nor does the great leaders in this country or the world. It was a phenomenon that has never before repeated, like the flood in Noah's days. It was universal. So what I'm speaking applies to any part of the world that I'm speaking of. It's not a New York phenomena. It's not simply a metropolitan city uh, uniqueness. It is across the world to the tiniest, furthest parts of the whole world. You know what I'm talking about. And yet there were those who didn't understand all of it. And love God in doing what only he could do to train them, mature them, prepare them as they put their life and say, I'm yours, Lord. Use me. I'm yours, Lord. You are the porter. I am the clay. Mold me and shape me and make me the way you want me to be. The others, like the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 14, 13 and 14, rebelled, refused, and simply resisted the hands of God until God said, I give up. Every nook and corner, in every aspect of their lives, they were constantly grumbling, murmuring, blame game, but they would not take the responsibility. But God had brought them all the way not to destroy them, but to make them to be unique people. Because his plans for them, he mentions twice in the book of Deuteronomy, to make them priest unto God, a people peculiar holy unto him. They would have none of it. I'm going to say, my friend, no matter where and what you are called to do, there must be a sense of a burden. And the burden has a price to pay. There is no blessing without a price. So if you aspire to be a doctor, you don't put a stethoscope and say, I'm a doctor. No, sir. It takes a long, lengthy time. Or in the engineer. Or in the sports. You don't think you just got in and just hit the front page. No, every one of these great men have gone through intense practice, hours upon hours upon hours and upon hours. They're not out there in every sense enjoying the world, but when they are, where they are, constantly doing what they're called to do, that is the burden. To be the best, you have to pay the price to be the best. Oh, in the natural, just as much as in the spiritual, and in the spiritual, just as much as it is in the natural. But there is the coalition of the unwilling. Simply say, I don't want you. And many have rebelled against God, cursed God, put God out of their lives. What I want you to understand is the calamities and the situations and the waves and the trials are upon everyone. But the reaction to each one is so different and, it, and to a degree very different. 
And I want you to understand there's not one of the people in the Bible that have been used have not gone through all and furthermore, and yet they were willing. They were willing to let God do something in their life, and that first, before you make a big structure, you must break down the old. The old man must be broken down for the new man to come. The old structure that is totally, completely broken down would crumble down. No sense in repairing that. It has to be totally broken to build a skyscraper. And so in the hands of the greatest engineer, in the hands of the greatest architect, in the hands of a great porter, what God does is the finished product comes through a process and we are finer than the finest. Gold that is refined. And as the Bible says, a workmanship of God that we are as craftsmen final as Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says. So let me say in a couple of the examples that we can find among the coalition of the willing. It is a voluntary. It is to say, Lord, I'm open. I'm in full acceptance. I don't have a clue of what it would take or how I'm going to go through. I don't know. But I know that you are good, and all that you do are good. Now, in saying this, I want to just make a simple statement here. We accept what God allows in our life. We reject what Satan brings. That is a burden, not yours nor mine. That's why I began with this burden called what the burden of God is. It's not the burden of a religion. It's not the burden of people. It's not even the burden of your pastor or religious leaders. It's not even the burden of someone else. And you are carrying a load that should not be yours, that he cannot coax you or force you, he or she, with the power and the prestige and the, and the, and the place that he is in authority, whether in the political or maybe in terms of rulership or in the spiritual or religion. You must realize it's a burden that you know is from the Lord, and you don't have to carry a burden that doesn't belong to you. Two things we need to realize is the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, and the word F-A-T-E, which is the laws of what is known as consequences. Karma, what will be, will be, kesarasara. That is different. So not everything that comes your way is sent by God. There's a time that you must resist what Satan brings into your life, first by submitting yourselves to God and then resisting that which is evil. But I am not talking about the type of what you think is, comes into your life and it comes knocking on your door and it has all the beauty of it, but Satan is behind it or false prophets and false apostles behind it, trying to lure you, getting something out of you. Be very careful. But what I'm talking about is by faith, you know it is God that you are willing to bear it. It's not a burden that would crush you to the point that is straight too much. His burden is light. Matthew chapter 
I believe 20 something uh, goes on to talk about 11, 20, uh, chapter 11 and verse 28 and verse 29. But I want you to understand by faith we accept what God gives to us and realizing that in the end we don't know how it's going to work, work out but we know in the end Romans chapter 8, 28 is played out. All things, whether good or bad, work together for those and to those that love him and accord according to his purpose. You must realize God has his life, his, your life in his hands. He wants nothing but the best. But when you talk about the best, it's a process. You want a cake, you want a good dish, you basically you add a lot of things inside. It goes through a crushing, beating experience. Then it is brought in together, it's mashed together, and then it's cooked together. The salt and the sugar and all of this put together. The Bible says all things work together for good. Presto, something good. To those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. So in this coalition of willingness are people that have stood up and allowed God and to be able to say, yes, Lord, I accept it, even though I don't know all about it. Yes, yes, yes. I'll say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I don't have a clue. But I know that I'm in your hand. And I know the best will come. So whether it is Joseph 13 years in prison, whether it is any of the great men and women of the Bible, they went through that not crushing, but what would be brokenness where God used them. This is the school of what would be the greatest school that you could ever find. It is uh, neology and theology, and it is simply brokenology, all put together. God, the Holy Spirit, is using you, and you are going through a process in the hands of the master, in the hands of the great engineer, in the hands of the great architect. And in that very moment of what would be perplexity and wondering, you know, in the end, the final and the best product, the workmanship, that God's finest product would be produced that brings glory and honor to the Lord. So when you think about this, you see two things God does before anything else. And that is why he said to the people of Israel, I'm going to put you to trials, but I want to know what's in your heart, what's in your spirit. How else would he know? People would say, yes, Lord, I will be with you. Others may fail you. As Peter said, but when it hits the road, we're found wanting. Trials actually are ways in which we get to know, oops, I didn't think that I made this promise was genuine. I need to repent, but I want open to the hand of the Lord. I want you to realize in Psalm 34, verse 18, two words, and it simply says, broken heart and a contrite spirit. Two words, broken heart, contrite spirit. And this is important for the coalition of the willing. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and save it such as are of a contrite 
spirit. Take David, for example. You know, there was a lot of things you must realize that David brought things upon himself. He had a great experience with God. And God basically drove him into the wilderness, actually chased. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had this identification of the Father's voice. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That is in chapter 3 of Luke and verse 22, and Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness. Excuse me, that is important. So here you have a validation of this young man, a lad by the name of David. And with the ram, the oil poured upon him by none other than the great Samuel, the prophet. And the next moment, the fight, the valor, almost like victory over Mount Carmel for Elijah. Elijah. And after that, the next day comes the breaking. Where God is breaking this man to the point using one of the most volatile and deadliest of all women, after having a great victory, defeating all of her false prophets, runs for his life. In that crushing moment, he's saying, Lord, I want to die. God says, yes, in your flesh, that I want to use you in a mighty way. That's a great experience. So David, after having this great experience with the Lord and anointed, then Saul is chasing him all over the place maybe for 10 long years. What is all the promise? Where are the great words of God? Before you can be what God called you to be, you have to go through a process. So it would not be self. It would not be, you say, my ingenuity, my contact. It is purely, totally God and God alone. So in Psalm 51, verse 17, look at these two words again. That is brought by his own flesh. And this is something, not a wilderness for training, but a wilderness as a punishment, a discipline. A father loves his children, will not discipline the neighbor's child, will discipline his child. Because he wants the best for his child. And so when you look at it, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God will never despise that. Look at the mess he got into. That is his own doing. And yet in the process of that comes a breaking, a brokenness. In fact, the temple of God was found in a mistake where he counted when he shouldn't have. It was not his power, the power of his horses or the power of his men. And God said, these three choices, I give you all of them so terrible. But in the midst of it all, when the consequences of discipline was played out, David was standing, crying out, and offering sacrifice. He even cried out to God, and there was life and death. And right there, God opened his eyes to find the very place, the mount upon which the house of God would be built. In that brokenness, he was able to cry out to God for mercy, and he purchased the land of the Hittite. And what Archana Arunia and basically made that ultimately into the temple which his son Solomon built. You find what David says that God is able to heal 
the brokenhearted. Psalm 147 and verse 3. He'll bind up the wounds, but he, the Bible says, healeth the brokenhearted. He healeth the brokenhearted. And what he does is he wants to do this in our life, even though we got ourselves into a mess. When you look at the Moses, it's incredible. He was a mighty man, reared up, raised up in the household of Pharaoh, had all the privileges, had all the opportunities, a commander, profound, eloquent. But after those years in the wilderness, 40 long years, I want to just listen to what he says. The man is all broken up, broken up. A man who could speak to the pharaohs and to all the senators. A man who commanded respect and admiration, eloquent in word and in deed. After 40 long years, what was he doing? Quack, quack. Mm. Speaking to the animals. The sharp tongue that he learned in the high school of learning was lost. God could use him as a politician in Egypt, but when God wants to use a man for the kingdom of God, that will not suffice. All the Harvard training, all the degrees behind you, as Paul said, is done. It's hosh, S-H, whatever. I want you to realize, my friend, all of what you could call as the accolades of men are nothing. It's a washout for the excellency that is in Jesus Christ. Paul said that I might know him, that I might win him, that I might know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Listen to what Moses says in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither here have no sins thou hast spoken unto a servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. He wouldn't be a commander. He said, no, 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 no. He said a word. They did it. That's called commanding presence. That is called a powerful personality in the world. That's a man of will. That's a man of power. That's a man of influence. That's a man who studied Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people. Put him to win friends among the sheep and the donkeys and the wild animals. Lost that great learning. By no means was he a man who could not be eloquent. Acts chapter 7, verse 22, listen to what Stephen the martyr had said before he was killed. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egypt. Excuse me? He was learned in all. He finished the best of the best Harvard and the best of the Ivy League colleges of the great then civilization. And he was mighty in word, eloquent, and indeed, and a mighty man taking care, not of his sheep, of his father-in-law's sheep. A mighty man indeed running with the animals. 
tending to the animals. God was waiting for that moment when he would be opening to the hand of God so he wouldn't say, it is me, my power, my eloquence. Sometimes we get nightclub DJs get converted and they think that's a gift. They come to the church and become pastors who are DJs. Excuse me, shut up, will you? It's all flesh and no spirit. Excuse me. That was what you did when you were a DJ in the nightclub. And you're bringing that nonsense into the church that is not the gift of God. That is flesh, flesh, flesh. And then you have people manipulative in the world and they got converted. They used to manipulate the world. Now they're converted Christians. They're manipulating their congregation. Ha ha! $1,000. $1,000. $100! That is simply flesh manipulating. End of the day, your money got transferred to him through fleshly manipulation. They used this system, but God didn't want that. God does not want a DJ. It doesn't matter how wonderful he is. Americans look for charismatic people. Must be according to Hollywood standard. Tall, handsome, pretty, you name it. Paul was in the great sight to look at. Paul had a hard time even communicating. In fact, one guy just fell off from the window and died. Paul had to raise him up. He was a lousy talker. We're looking for people who will itch our ears. Many a times the church has become speakers of inspiration. My friend, the world needs inspiration speakers outside the church to inspire you. What God wants in the church is people who will speak the word. Nothing but the word. People are looking for a dramatic actor. My friend, Hollywood needs you, but the church does not need an actor. They need someone who says, Thus said the Lord. And so here is Moses, lost his eloquence, lost mighty deeds. And yet by the time you come through crossing the Red Sea, to the time you see the wonders, wow! No great politicians or powers or eloquent or mighty deeds have ever performed what God has performed through him. And just in case you think Moses would ever think it's me, God used a dead dry stick, so glory would always do God to God. Dead dry stick, take this and go to the face towards the Red Sea and the waters will depart. Dead dry stick. That's Moses, a dead dry stick. And yet, when he marched into Pharaoh's court, the greatest power, the then time, Pharaoh, the Bible says, and entire Egypt was scared of him. They, when the voice, the noise of his walking with a sandal came in, there is Moses, what else is he going to do? Pharaoh is shaking. And I want you to realize, man, there's no power or eloquence, but it is the power of God to him be glory. But all that burden he carried, the burden that God placed upon him, he said, Lord, it is too much for me. And yet God allowed it because he 
is bringing out the best when he takes away the worst of the world. But if you think that's all there is to it, my friend, you and I must realize when we go to heaven. You and I must memorize a song when we go to heaven. You and I must sing that song when we go to heaven. What song? And they sing the song of Moses, saying, Great and mighty art thou, Lord, and the song of the Lamb. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3. You and I will be singing that song, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. My God, this is not about earth. This man's fame goes throughout, even to eternity, that we will be singing the song of God's servant Moses and the Lamb of God. And what are the words? Saying, great and marvelous are your works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, thou King of saints. The next verse, verse 4, goes on to say, who shall not fear you? Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For thou only art holy, for all nations, all nations shall come and worship you. For your judgments are made manifest. Give the Lord a clap offering. I'm going to tell you, my friend, it is with everyone. Hear this man, Josh. The young man was put into prison, Joseph. And yet you see, after he comes out and all the corrupt things and the wicked things his own blood brothers did to him. When you come to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, you thought the worst, did the worst. But God brought out the best so you could be saved, I could be saved. But I want you to realize about this man. He comes out of prison, a prison bird. Who will touch a prison bird in Egypt? That's the lowest you could find. And yet I want you to understand, in Psalm 105, verse 17, God sent a man and put him in prison, bound his legs and his feet. And then when you go to verse 22, listen to this. He taught the senator's wisdom. Excuse me, these are all scholars of uh, Egyptian training. And here's a prison bird, comes out of nowhere, where did he learn it? When God took that boasting that was on his head, oh, my father, my mother, you're going to bow down before me. You brothers, you're going to bow down. God said that not for him to boast. God took away the boasting. And you find this man to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. That was not Harvard. That's important for the people there. But for God... He had to take you through all this so you could be in that place and yet not lose out on God by saying it's you and it's all about you. It's about God and all about God. He will never forget. When you look at Isaiah, it was a very misfortune thing that happened, a tragedy. This king Isaiah is a not only loved by Isaiah, but actually his relative. He was, the, he was the court prophet, or the kingly prophet, or the kingdom prophet, you may say. But we don't hear nothing about him. But when you come to chapter 6, you find a prophet is made. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year King Uzziah died, 
in the year that the one that I loved most died. Sometimes I hear Christians say, oh, if only Obama comes back, or if only Trump comes back, my friend, your salvation is neither of them. It is in the Lord. When I hear too much of it, I say, be, 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 be careful. Your Uzziah might die so you would see the Lord. You've been keeping your eyes so much on political people and religious people. Don't exalt them because ultimately it'll be you'll find the Lord when your Uzziah dies. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And what happened before? Because there was a man towering bigger than life that he was not able to see God. This huge tree overshadowed everything else, and one day that got toppled down. And for the first time, Isaiah looked and said, oh my God, the tree is gone. And then he looked and said, oh my goodness, I can see God. He's high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. Life-changing moment in the most tragic catastrophe of his life. Life-changing moment. And what does he say? Broken. The court's prophet, the king's special prophet, broken man, he comes to realize this Adamic nature that popped him up into White House and into big situation as his name plastered all over the news, literally came to understand who he is. Verse 5, Woe unto me! I am undone. I am of unclean lips. No more the famous, it was flesh. All that up there was flesh. I'm undone. I'm unclean lips. Woman, eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. There's a challenge that comes out of this burden. God says, who shall go for us? And this man Broken down says, in honey, here I am broken, but now willing in that broken state. And then God speaks in verse 9, gives him this great burden. And he said, go and tell this people, hear you indeed, but understand not. See you indeed, but perceive not. And then begins to raise him up to be a prophet, even though people would not like him would not want to listen, but they had to listen to the words that spoke the truth. A prophet is made. A prophet comes out. A prophet to the nation. So much, I want you to realize, is an Old Testament prophet. And yet, so many people talk of him as the fifth gospel. There is the gospel according to Matthew, gospel according to Mark, gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John, and the gospel according to Isaiah, because so much of his prophecy had to do, the messianic prophecy had to be, had to do with God's Yahweh's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful way in which from all the way from then on to 65 is nothing but profound words. Comes from a heart that says, woe unto me, I'm undone. Just do me, Lord, I'm broken. Now do and finish what you started. I'm just broken down. Can this be your prayer, Hinani? Here I am, Lord. 
here I am. Not resisting God for taking away King Uzziah. Not rebelling against God. But here I am. Use me. And God did use this man who was a prophet like Jeremiah, a weeping prophet. We hear prophets of today flying around in jets, prosperous. And they say that is what God wants them to be prosperous. Look in the first 100 richest men. Every one of them are Christ deniers, Christ haters, and every one of them have done business in a way that you and I would not have done. And they have masked wealth and used their wealth in a way that God would not want. And you are saying they're the richest people, are the Christians? You must be joking. So you want to break through and use the Madison Avenue and Wall Street and, and uh, what would be Hollywood sequence to do this? And so you have in the pulpit Hollywood, Madison Square Garden, and all the gimmicks. And people give like crazy. It is given to a man and not to the kingdom. Given to the man, his family, him and his and his alone. The church gets poorer, the ministry gets, the one man gets richer. I want you to know that I believe in true prosperity. The Bible talks about true prosperity. The Bible tells us that your spirit and soul would be prosperous, and in the same way, you would be financially and physically prosperous. What I mean is, my friend, I want the church and I want God's people to be prosperous, not poor prosperous. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you where it begins. It begins in your spirit and in your soul. Prosperous in your relationship with God through Yeshua. Prosperous in your mind that your mind is stayed upon the word. Prosperous in your health and prosperous in your money. My way of biblical aspect is that I don't have to steal from God's people. I want God's people to prosperous as they give what God told them, tithes and offering. And as you are prosperous, I am prosperous. As I am prosperous, you are prosperous. It's not me robbing you or taking away by default and sad stories and sob stories to steal away what is yours. You have to give it willingly without being hicked into it all sorts of things into where you are almost in a guilt complex. That's not the way that God wants. But the sad situation is the very congregation listens to somebody who wants a plane and they will give him there and they will not give their own church because they don't say so. Do we have need? Of course. Do we need repair the pillars? There's massive money, but you don't, we never come with a begging bowl. Have you ever seen or heard or got a letter from Highland Church saying, you have to give. My friend, it's not that we don't have a need. We know God will when you listen to God. And God will get the glory. So when you look at Isaiah, a great man, but I want you to understand, Paul, you know what is so unbelievable? is Paul went through a crushing, broken experience that built him up to be the prophet, he was, to be the great man of God, the apostle that he was. 
It's not like when he comes to a town, where is the five-star hotel, who is carrying my bag, who will be my chaperone, my friend. In the old and colonial days, we thought the colonial people did. Today it's just changed. It is what the world calls the third world people, do it to the third world people. Okay, you carry my bag. We criticize the white man for doing it, now we do it. I don't do it. I carry my own bag. What I'm trying to say is, what are we doing? We're going to XYZ to preach the gospel. Where is the five-star hotel? Paul will say, how is the prison in town? Because in the end, that's where I'm going to. Because by the time I finish preaching, they will lock me up there. I want you to realize we're living in a day that things got mismatched. We don't know what is true and what is not. That gray area, you should know the truth and truth should set you free from all this false... But I want you to realize Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 onwards. Listen to what he says in this passage. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation. Uh, the abundance of revelation didn't make him a millionaire. Everyone who got a little dream after a hot pepper is writing about heaven and write about gold in heaven. Excuse me? That's a pipe dream. You do not know. It's all about your book and writing your book. Everybody wants to write a book today. Everybody wants to write his autobiography today because you, I'll tell you one thing, fame. You get famous by writing books. Your name circulates and you make money. But here is this man. He says, through the abundance of revelation, no, 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 it didn't get him money. It got him into big problems, big burden. There was given to me the thorn in the flesh, the messengers of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. You know, I find it strange that from the pulpit, we criticize people. Oh, she smoked, she has, what, a golden air? Look at the skirts. Look at the color. I mean, we used to grow up when everybody wore white and black. Today it's Technic color, hippie color, hip color. Who cares, my friend? Let me tell you, in the entire church, the place where there is the biggest pride that brought Satan down and the kingdom of Israel down is on the pulpit. You, you, while four fingers are going back to the person. No compassion. Pride doesn't have a big saying, this is sin, number one. Every one of us have to battle pride, more so people who are used of God. And so God says, lest you be exalted about measure. What does he do in verse 8? For this thing, Paul says, I besought the Lord not one, not twice, three times, that it might depart from me. But he said, you got to depend on me. Because I made you weak, so your strength comes from me. Verse 9, he said, Unto me my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, I will therefore rather glory in... Why would you glory in your infirmities? It's because God touched my limb. Jacob says, I am Israel, not the other way around. When I had strong limbs and strong, I did run like crazy for myself. But the moment God touched my thigh, I am dependent, dependent, dependent on God. That is the blessing. Don't let me be seen as a Hollywood success. 
Let me be seen as a broken man that got changed from Jacob to prince with God. But I want you to understand, Paul saying, lest I be exalted with all that vision, he could write books, he could be exalted, and the man's calendar would be full for five years. People want to basically give him the accolades and give him, put him up on the news. No, no, no. Lest I be exalted about measure, the Lord said, just know this, the infirmities keep you humble so I could use you. I've seen many people. I know a man in Brooklyn had a great beginning. He was a prophet so-and-so, and by the time he put a rate to it, and then $500, $1,000, and there were buffoons running to get him. Ah, oh, gets a word. It's $100,000. Excuse me, you can get a word from the Bible. It's free. You have a Bible, you got it. And the last I see of that man, he's no more preaching the gospel. All he did was follow a prosperity preacher who was in Manhattan, and the rest is history. He's lost his soul for the sake of the money. I'm going to say this, my friend. Lest I be exhorted, Paul says, the Lord said unto me, my grace is sufficient. Paul prayed once, twice, third. He doesn't need to. He did a great thing. How powerful is Paul? He could be exalted. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11 and verse 12. And God wrought special miracles, not just ordinary miracles. Paul didn't come and say, oh, you see, your foot grew by, the toe just grew by a few centimeters. That's a miracle. And the next moment, the whole world and a whole feet was completely cured. The whole person received healing. No. They exaggerate, make mountains out of molehills. That's how money is made. But this one was special miracles by the hand of Paul. What special miracles? Verse 12. So that from his, he doesn't have to say, he doesn't have to speak. So that from his body were brought sick, hank, this, uh, unto the sick, handkerchiefs and aprons. So people are pushing things into his pocket. Please, 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 give me that after you preach. Excuse me? That is not done. But God did it for Paul. And for Peter, the shadow of his, the shadow was able to heal. Look at this great miracle. Then make a dime of it. It says here, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went from them. He didn't even have to speak the word of healing. He didn't have to pray for deliverance. Boom, boom, boom. God used him. And yet he says, I besought the Lord one time, two times, three times. What's wrong, Lord? And God said, I've allowed this, what Satan has put, so that you would depend on me. So every time you go out to do a ministry, it's not your ingenuity. It's not your strength. You are dependent totally upon me. That is the success of Paul. Let me just say this. Way before he began his ministry, God spoke to Ananias. And Ananias is actually speaking to God. He's actually counseling God like God doesn't know history. Today we have prophets saying God needs counseling. So God turns to them and said, do you know who's going to be the president of America? I need help. Excuse me? We have gone into politics today. The great prophets of today. 
Show me one scripture in the New Testament. They ever talked about Caesar or talked about Herod. They talked God's word to the people and to God's word back to God. What you find is he's speaking to Ananias who said, Lord, I'm telling you, this man is dangerous. Maybe you, you didn't know that. Maybe you forgot that. But I know it. And this is what God said to Ananias. When you turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and verse 16, listen carefully. But the Lord said unto him, Ananias, go your way, do what I told you, lay hands upon him and pray for him that he will receive the Holy Spirit. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16, for I will show him what a mighty rich man he would be. Now I will show him how much he would suffer, the burden he would suffer for my name's sake. You know, we're not living among the extremists. Honestly, we're living in the good old America. Safety. Before the service, I mingle with you. After the service, I mingle. But I've seen preachers and prophets come. They've got three bodyguards, three bodyguards. Who's going to shoot these fellows? Bodyguard there. And there in front is a guy looking at you like this. They're paid. No, no, they're not the president of the United States. He's the target for extremists. But their humble preachers become big, pompous nothings. They need, ex they need bodyguards. When is the last time somebody even bashed them? No. It's a show. They got it from Hollywood. They got it from political. They got it from the public arena. Those guys need. Hollywood stars need protection because everybody wants a signature and everybody wants to kiss them and hug them and they will be running off with them, kidnapping them. Who would want a humble preacher? Who? Unless you have ill-gotten wealth and you are so scared. You've got to have bodyguards running up and down, bodyguards up and down. Once in a while, my staff says, Pastor, the person got near to you and was trying. Got to trust God. But I have got to have some people watch over me, just in case after the message, someone says, oh, he's vulnerable, shoot him. No, I'm just saying, my friend, we live in a day when we don't know who we are. We want to imitate the world around us. And Ananias was said, he will take my name and he will suffer for my name's sake. What a true prophet, what a true apostle. I want you to realize something most incredible, amazing, is you see these men. Look at the parable of, uh, of the prodigal son the Lord Jesus spoke about. Yet you see this, two words. This man went out his own, he did his own blunder, he took his father's money, spent it. He thought having money will win friends and influence people. When the moment he lost all his money, he lost every one of his friends. You have money, you get friends. You have no money, you have no friends. Those are not true friends. I've always kept in life five people that I could call and depend upon. And when I need them, they would be there. This is very important. Jesus had three, very one. But I am more desperate. I keep five. If I can make it six, I will make it six. 
that I can take off my shoes and be honest and they won't misunderstand me or stab me or take it to the press and say, he said, I didn't say that. You see, my friend, every one of us need good people. A good man is hard to find. A good woman is hard to find. But here is this prodigal son lost everyone. Now he's all by himself and eating the pig's food in a pig pen. You would have said, my goodness, this man comes from a noble family eating the pig's pen, pig food. The best thing happened. Excuse me? When he was in his father's house, he took everything for granted. When he was in the pig pen, then he came to himself. There are people who need to come to himself, empty them out, put them in the pig pen, and they'll say, oh, a pig never looks up unless he's going to be put to sacrifice. They carry him upside down. Oh, that is heaven. I didn't know. Oh, those are beautiful. He's looking down all the time. Where can I get this? Where can I get that? Where can I get this? When they carry him to be roasted, ah, ah, we have to look up to heaven. Say amen, amen, amen. Don't wait for you to be sacrificed. Look up to heaven. Your help comes from God. But in Luke chapter, 20, Luke chapter 15 and verse 21, he said this. He said, Father, I have sinned. It took a lot of guts. He didn't want to be a soul. He was like, give me mine. That was the father's. I've sinned against heaven in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. You don't have to wait for 10 verses. Look at the next verse, verse 22. And the father said to his servants, bring him the best robe, the robe of, his, of righteousness. Put it on him and put a ring, authority on him. And the shoes, the shoes of peace upon him. All three was missing when he had money. He didn't have a robe of righteousness. He didn't have the ring of authority. Neither did he have the sh shoe of peace. Everything messed him up. Thank God. So he was able to go back to the Father. Let me just tell you, or give you an example about burden. There's a man that lived over 100 years ago by the name of Sadhu. Sundar Singh, and not this sadhu that is in prison garb. You see him prophesying and saying, my God, if Trump is not elected to America and the whole world is going down. I want you to understand this one thing. God is equally to everybody. He's not saying, my sports club must win. God doesn't say, okay, now who's going to win? He says a lot of prayer, I need to. That's not his botheration. The people play, they do well. The people vote, that's the outcome. I want you to understand there's no first-class citizen, second-class citizen, third-class citizen. There's no white, black, brown. There's no Democrat, neutral, or Republican. For God, everything is equal. What is God's idea? What is God's passion? That people would come to the saving knowledge through Jesus. That is why. He sent his son so he wouldn't build the Democratic or Republican, the white, the black, and the brown. He sent his son to save everyone. Otherwise, we will go hell. Whether we are Democrats or Republicans, white, black, or brown, he sent Jesus Christ. But here this man... The original Sundar, Sadhu Sundar, was a mystic. 
He was a man that came out of the sick faith and he accepted the Lord. And he was about to commit suicide when the Lord appeared to him. He left everything. He was a mystic. He would go into the Himalayas and he was, uh, he used to sit down with the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Muslims, just speak about the Lord. Nothing like big public oratory and speaking of that. He was a mystery in many ways, a mystic. But in his book he has written, seated at the feet of the master and many books, it's very much of a mystic faith in him. But he gave an example of a burden. And this would be appropriate. It was in the, basically in the Himalayas, in Tibet and Himalayas, where he was going with a Buddhist monk. And it was so cold that the very wind factored. It was like so chilling. It was like a knife just cutting through. So cold that you could become icicle if you don't move. And as they were making their way to the monastery, which is a Buddhist monastery, he and this monk was going together. In his book, he talks about, he could hear someone, help me, help me, help me. And he looked, and there was a man halfway and could not move. So as Sarvasundha Singh was going on his way, the monk told him, don't. It is the result of karma, what he did wrong in his past life. Don't touch him, don't change and uh, volatile what would be the birth cycles. Just let him suffer. And Sundar Singh, that's not how I believe. We're here to help the helpless. So he went to this man and the monk said, listen, don't waste your time. You don't understand. This man is paying for his sin in his past life. But Sundar Singh, that's not what my Savior taught me. So this monk continued on. And Sundar Singh went to tend to this man and found that he was lame. So he tied his own uh, scarf around him and he couldn't walk. He tried to make him, he couldn't walk, he couldn't limp. So the Sundar Singh just took him in his back and hunched, he inched his way to the monastery. With this man on top of him, as he was looking down and they always carry an urn with fire, you know, close to there. That's what they used to do in the olden days, and still some of them do. And so, as he made his way, just before he could even enter the monastery, he tripped and fell. And he looked, and the icicle of the monk that went ahead, totally, completely, iced, dead. He made his way to the monastery. Not only was he saved, but the man he carried was saved. The burden saved him. How did it happen? Because the man on top gave him his seat, and the man carrying him had his body he'd given to him, and that was not a burden. That was life. Burden translated into blessing, and he lived to talk about it. When he was asked, what is the worst thing you could see, he said, a man with no burden. And he said, what's the best thing that one can do? He said, carry your burden. And simplicity, if you want to be a blessing to others, carry the burden that God gives you. I will talk about it next week, but let's go back to the principle enshrined by our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 41. Listen carefully to what he says. Whosoever, whosoever, stone, stone, broken by himself on the rock or broken by the rock to pieces 
whosoever carrying the burden is simply not a feeling it's a choice that you and i make a deliberate choice to say lord this is from you i choose to say yes the coalition coalition of the willing or you could say no or by default by not making the decision you say no but you will say i'll say yes 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 i'll say yes 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 i'll say yes lord i'll say yes lord i'll say yes 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 thanks so much for joining us today we pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the lord to learn more please visit our website highlandny.org or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.